All right, so you want to come grab a seat? Uh, college football has a pulse in Arizona. Two big wins for our universities last night, U of A winning, which is always surprising in football. Uh, very much a basketball school. But how about ASU knocking off number five UW? Wow. I think a lot of our people were tailgating down there last night, and I'm not sure if they made it back. So, uh, but I'm glad that you're here. We're starting a new series today. And uh, I, we're starting a series on the Beatitudes, which is in the Sermon on the Mount. And I feel like th this teaching of Jesus is so foundational. It's good to come back to. I'd love for our church to come back to it once a year because I think it's so important. But if you want to open up to Matthew chapter 5, we'll get started in verse 1. You can read with me. I think we've got the slide behind me. But we'll just start in verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Probably familiar words for most of us. I mean, even if you didn't grow up in the church and haven't read a lot of scripture, you've probably heard these words. They're this famous teaching from Jesus. These words are called the Beatitudes, and they're the introduction to Jesus' most famous sermon ever. Kind of his magnum opus, kind of his manifesto for the kingdom that he was bringing about, the Sermon on the Mount. Very special words, very important words. A lot of things have been said about the Sermon on the Mount, and a lot of things have been said about these Beatitudes. But it's thought that this was kind of like the central message of Jesus' teaching, that this wasn't necessarily just one sermon that he gave at one time, but this was something that he gave over and over again. Wherever he would go, this message was his, uh, what, he would, what he would preach. They might even say, the next slide, we have it. The Sermon on the Mount is the essence of all that Jesus continually and habitually taught his disciples. So if you would kind of distill the teachings of Jesus into one sermon, what we have is this beautiful Sermon on the Mount goes on from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. And here in the first 10 verses or so, we have these things called the Beatitudes. It's kind of a funny, funny word, kind of a churchy word. It comes from the Latin word beatus, which means blessed. It means blessed. And what I want to do for this series, kind of the, the goal of this series, we go to the next slide, the goal of the series uh, is to, we kind of want to pursue the qualities that are found here in the Sermon on the Mount. If we could pursue the things that Jesus is talking about in this message. And if, if this is the most important message that Jesus has, we should probably pay attention to what he's talking about. And not only do I want to pay attention to kind of the qualities that come out of the Sermon on the Mount, but I want to read it through the lens and the context of our most significant 
relationships. Our family, our marriage, parenting. What it means for us to be single in relationships with others. To read the qualities of this manifesto of Jesus' kingdom through the lens of what it means for us and our most significant relationships. And that's what I want to look at the next few months. And I believe, or the next month, not few months, next month. I, I believe that for us as followers of Jesus, when it comes to this manifesto for his kingdom, we have to get it right within our own context, within our own homes. It's something that we have to live out, that we have to pursue. Because if we can't pursue this in our most meaningful relationships, our witness is powerless in the world around us. So I just want to kind of hone in on these teachings over the next month. So we'll start with the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We look at these words, it's kind of a countercultural saying. It's not something that you would consider blessed, one who is poor or poor in spirit. The Gospel of Luke, Luke just leaves it at the word poor. It doesn't say poor in spirit. But what does this mean, blessed are the poor in spirit? If we could kind of unpack a couple phrases here, and uh, sometimes I think it's important to just kind of unpack a word or a phrase to know what the author's saying. I think it kind of gives texture to uh, the, the verse. There's three kind of phrases, three words I want to look at. The first is blessed. What is this blessed all about that we see over and over again? What does poor in spirit mean? And what is the kingdom of heaven? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This word blessed is a special word. Blessed, uh, we use it all the time in, in our culture. It's become kind of a hashtag that we use on social media. Sometimes we use it ironically. Like, you know, I went to In-N-Out Burger, and they gave me an extra burger. So I'll post about it, hashtag blessed, right? So sometimes it's like kind of silly. Sometimes it's a photo of my family, and it's just this recognition that, oh, yeah, like th- things are good. Like God has really blessed us. A lot. But when we see this word blessed in the Beatitudes, we find it, it's, it's used like, you know, nine times in ten verses. Or, or It's used over and over again. What is it that Jesus is talking about here? So if we kind of would unpack this word, uh, what we'd find is that uh, this is uh, in the Greek. It's the, the word makarios. If you could say it like the guy in the Greek tools on my computer, it's makarios. 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 Makarios is a term that's been used in the culture of, uh, that Jesus is, is living in, and, it, and oftentimes it's used in secular settings. The, the author and poet Homer used this word in his writings, this makarios, and Homer uses it to describe the immortals of Mount Olympus. So think about like, the significance of this word. Like When Homer uses it, he's describing these, these gods, these things that are divine, the immortals of Mount Olympus. Another translation of this word isn't just blessed, but it's the fortunate ones, or the happy ones, or congratulations is also how it's translated. For the Greeks, there was an island, Cyprus, uh, that they considered uh, makarios. They called it uh, the feminine form of this word, makarios, which meant that this is the blessed island, or the happy island. Sounds like a reality TV show, yes. 
But they would look at, at, at Cyprus and they called it the, the Makarios Island, the, the, the blessed island, because they felt like when you go to Cyprus, it's so beautiful and the climate's so great and the flowers and the fruit and the culture, everything about it is, it, it, it's, it's such a wonderful place that it would meet all of life's needs and you would never even need to leave the island of Cyprus all of your life and you would be content. That's how wonderful this place is. Place that I would like to go on a cruise to, maybe go visit. But that's kind of they would use this word Makarios because it was everything was contained within this island of of just blessing. Along comes Jesus and he starts talking about the kingdom of God. And he brings up this phrase, Makarios. Blessed are dot dot dot. The significance of a happiness and a joy that comes with this word. And when Jesus starts to describe what the kingdom is like, what his kingdom is like, he uses this word for his followers. But very quickly, this this phrase turns. It almost goes in an opposite direction. Jesus starts with this word, blessed, the makarios, but then he turns to almost the opposite image of the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we would start to kind of unpack this phrase, poor in spirit. Go to the next slide. Poor in spirit, this is a Greek word, toquos. 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 And the Greeks had different, different words for, for what poor meant. There, there were a couple different words. This one meant the most desperate situation. Completely emptied of everything completely dependent on others for life. This is a tragic word. To be be poor in spirit is to be completely empty. And it's interesting that as Matthew is telling this, this account of the Sermon on the Mount, he uses the idea of a state of mind of your spirit. A poverty of the soul. Something has gone wrong in life and you feel empty. You feel empty. In many ways, it's the opposite of this idea of blessed. And so why would Jesus say this about people who completely feel empty within? What's going on here? What does it mean to be be empty? I'm sure that many of you have gone through experiences of in your life where you felt poor of spirit. You feel like, almost like the bottom has dropped out of your soul. You feel empty. I know for me, uh, it would always be in high school when my girlfriend would dump me, right? I mean, it always goes back to relationships with young people. Like those are some of the things that are, are most challenging is when we go through relationships and we, we feel rejection. I remember in those times in high school and relationship wouldn't work out. I just feel devastated. And I would go through this kind of pain and emptiness within my soul. And at the same time, it always seemed like God would show up in those situations. It always seemed like I would be almost like this heightened sense of awareness of God's activity in my life when I would go through heartbreak and pain. You would just soak up the presence of God like a sponge. Think of other times in my life where I've experienced failures and things that I've sought out to do, 
other times in my life where I felt betrayed by people who uh, I had expectations for. And you have this sense of emptiness. You experience things where just terrible things happen to you that you don't deserve. It would always be interesting, like, when I would, I would go to a church when I would feel poor of spirit, when I'd feel emptied. And the worship would just resonate with everything inside of me. It was almost like I had this heightened sense of God's presence in my life in those moments where I was completely empty spiritually. I would go and listen to a, a message, or, and it would seem like everything that the pastor would said said would just be, like, meant for me. I would open up a book and read, and it would seem like everything that was being written was written for me. I would, I would go to scripture and read God's word, and it felt like God would speak to me. It was like constantly showing up in the midst of this poverty of the spirit. There's a phrase, I'll go to the next slide, this poor in the spirit, talks about us being on the end of our rope. And maybe this is what Jesus is talking about. It says, you are blessed when you're at the end of the rope because there's less of you and there's more of God. And this is something that feels very countercultural. We want to look like we have it all together. We want to look like we've got a lot of rope left. We're a very image-conscious culture. And it's hard to look desperate. And Jesus starts talking about this idea that these people who are poor of spirit are the ones who are blessed. I think what he's talking about is, first of all, they, they, they have an openness to God's work in their life. In the midst of poverty of the spirit, there's an openness to receive from God in ways that we often aren't able to. When I think of my encounter with God through my prayer life. Uh, my prayer life always tends to be the best when I'm uh, most stressed out about relationship, most stressed out about money, most stressed out about huge decisions that are coming up, I find myself on my face praying to God, connecting with him, desiring his will in my life. And then when things are going pretty well, when I'm succeeding, when I think, feel like things are, are, are going along pretty nice, when I have peace, oftentimes I, you know, just kind of take that prayer life for granted. Doesn't, my life doesn't drive me to my knees to experience God. I like it what Bill Hybels said. Bill Hybels is a great leader, great pastor. And he, he talks about his prayer life, and he says this. He says, if you have learned anything about prayer, it's that desperation drives discipline. If I've learned anything about prayer, it's this idea that desperation drives discipline. There's something about being poor in spirit, desperate, dependent on something else that allows us to experience God in fresh, new, powerful ways. And it's interesting that when Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, he doesn't say you must be poor in spirit to receive blessing. But he says, in the midst of being poor in spirit, there's a blessing that's there. There's an encounter with God that's indescribable, that's powerful. God is with those who are poor in spirit. The early church started considering their work, God's work through them in the first century. We have documents of what these early Christians did as they sought to follow Jesus. These people who uh, 
didn't have much, didn't have much going on in their life. Oftentimes, uh, the, the, the message of Jesus would, would resonate with those who were kind of on the other side of power, those who were oppressed in the culture. And yet they found great power in the midst of their dependency on God. And there's this fascinating passage when they start talking about this idea that God has called them to be instruments of reconciliation. There's this passage in the letter to the Corinthians that talks about this idea of we're instruments of reconciliation. And we find that the early church starts to use the language to, to describe their work in this world. And they say this. Go to the next slide. And the author Paul's writing. He says, as God's fellow workers... We urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. We put, not stumble, a stumbling, put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, in hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness. Go to the next slide. Through glory and dishonor, bad report, good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing, yet possessing everything. We opened our hearts to you. What we have here are these people uh, completely dependent on God, and they've become gifts to the world around them. I love this phrase of poor, yet making many rich. Poor, yet making many rich. Owning nothing, having nothing, yet possessing everything. We opened our hearts to you. Something about this idea of where we're broken, we're broken open, God's work enters into our life. When we're empty, when there's a poverty of spirit, God has a way of being able to move through us in powerful, powerful ways. And again, he doesn't say, be poor in spirit so that you may be blessed, but he says, those who are poor in spirit, you're blessed. I'm here with you. You have this opportunity to have this encounter that's indescribable because you're open. You're open. I think if uh, you've ever been around people who are, are addicts and they've gone through something like AA, you see this 12-step program, and it starts with this idea that we're powerless. If you've been around someone who's an addict, you know They've, they've gone through the, the steps in AA. There's this deep sense that my life has spun out of my control. And I can't do this on my own. There's a humi humility that comes about this poverty of spirit. But it's in that moment of brokenness and humility that God starts to step in and work in our lives in ways that are supernatural in ways that we can't work on our own. And I think that this is something about the economy of the kingdom of God. Suffering is redemptive. 
Brokenness brings healing. Confession brings about truth. And we live in a culture sometimes where we think, it's not okay to have my life be a mess. It's not okay to not have anything to give. And God looks at his people, and Jesus looks at his audience and says, those of you that feel like you're poor spirit, you're blessed. You have an ability now to be used as a gift to others. Yesterday was uh, my daughter Lila's, uh, we celebrated her first birthday, and we had family come over, and uh, she's number four. And so first birthday is always a big deal. Um, one of the things that we do, and, and most people do for their child's first birthday, is it's the first time the, the child gets to eat cake. And uh, it makes this huge mess, and it's so fun. And I thought about yesterday as I was watching Lila demolish this cake, about how messy the cake was. And I remember thinking, like, we have, like, this ant problem in my backyard that I cannot solve. I can't get rid of them. It's like they hide until children come over, and then they come out. And then I have to spray raid, and, like, everyone has to leave. So, like, my first thought is, like, oh, the ants are going to be fired up on this. Then I'm watching her eat this cake, and I'm thinking, like, oh, there's so much sugar in this thing. She's going to go into, like, shock. She hasn't had sugar like this. What a mess. And yet here she is, completely joyful. And I started to think about just the picture of joy in her life. And I started to think about like what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. In the midst of the mess, there is this blessing. And as I watched this, I just thought, uh, this, I think, is what God's talking about. There's joy in the midst of our mess. And I have a clip I just want to show you because I feel like this kind of describes... What it's like. This is Lila. Okay, I think it's on a loop, so. <laughs> When I, when I considered Lila, I was thinking of that word makarios, blessed. There's this divine joy. Granted, it's cake. It tastes sweet, right? But it's a complete mess, and she's absolutely loving it. There's a joy that's there. And what I think Jesus is talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount is all of us live life in different ways that are broken. All of us live life in different ways that are empty. All of us have things that are going on right now that are heavy on our heart. And in the midst of the mess that we live in, there's blessing. God is with us. And this is what I think is the gist of this message in the Beatitudes. Go to the next slide. Okay, sorry, go to the next slide. Since I did that, in the Beatitudes is this. Christ summons us to live in the present in the way that will make sense in God's promised future. We start getting into these beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because God's promised future, eternity, the kingdom of God, is ours. 
If the kingdom of God is this place where everything happens as God wants it, if it's the society and realm and reality where things happen according to God's will, and the Sermon on the Mount has this prayer that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we read these Beatitudes and as we consider our life, we're summoned to live in a way now that only makes sense in God's promised future. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you in the midst of your mess, because God is with you. So we consider these words today, and as we move to communion, something to reflect on. In your own life right now, where are you poor of spirit? Where do you feel empty? Where do you feel like you've made a mess of things? In what ways are you completely dependent upon God? Is it possible that in the midst of whatever that is, and how it feels like suffering and how it feels like emptiness, God wants an encounter with you that is transformative. Is it possible that these things haven't happened to you for any other reason than that God is with you and he's summoning you to live in a way that may only make sense in light of eternity? I don't know what you're going through right now, what you're experiencing, but life is extremely challenging. There's great brokenness and suffering that we all deal with. Yet the economy of the kingdom is that God is with you. And in Christ, there is blessing that comes in the mess. Tim's going to come up, and we're going to close our time with communion. We like to take communion every week. It's something that's sacred for us as a community because it represents brokenness of God. That God would become man, that he would walk on this earth to reveal what he's like. And when it comes to our own suffering and brokenness, on the cross, God breaks his body open and he pours his blood out. And through the breaking open of his body and the pouring out of his blood through his suffering, we find eternal life. There's redemption in it. When we talk about the economy of the kingdom in the midst of our mess, we find hope, life, and blessing because of the work of God on the cross. And this is something that we center our lives around each week. And today as we approach the table, to consider these things. In what ways am I empty? In what ways am I poor of spirit? Will I allow God to fill me up today with his blessing? Not that I simply make light of these challenging things, but that the challenging things that I'm going through are transformed in light of eternity. That I would experience the joy like a baby eating a cake in the midst of my mess. Let us go to the table today, open to receive from God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this manifesto of the kingdom. Lord, we know that you've called us to be a peculiar people here on earth. Not a people that are successful, not a people that are powerful, not a people that are, look good. Lord, but a people that are in touch with human reality. 
and yet hopeful. People who are in touch with brokenness and yet are being put back together. People who are poor but make many rich. You said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Today, Lord, meet us in our poverty. Fill us up with your joy with the Makarios, Lord. Let us experience your goodness today. In your son's name we pray.